Welcome to Together, Sharing This Resurrection Life. This is a podcast with sermon series for our small group discussion. After you have your small group discussion, be sure to check out the show notes and use that link in the show notes to submit your attendance and any questions to me, Pastor Haig, and I'll follow up with you personally. Now, come join this resurrection life together. This particular sermon series is entitled Happily Ever After from Pastor Mike Novotny at The Core in Appleton, Wisconsin. You can check out the show notes for more about The Core. So this might be the, the most single people I've had all weekend put together in all the worship service. How many single people do we have here? Awesome, awesome. There are probably others outside. This is not an opportunity to look around and see who you can find for Tuesday night <laughs> dinner. That may happen, but that's not the purpose. That's not the purpose. Uh, but I also have a lot of married people here. How many married people do I have? Lots of you as well. All right, so here's the deal. You don't get to check out on me today because we're talking about being single and what God has to say on the topic. Because what we're going to talk about is something that impacts all of us and all of us truly need to hear. And so I pray that as you dig into God's word with me tonight, you're going to find something that meets you in the status that you have, but also celebrates the status that the other people around you have because we're all part of God's family. When I was going to school to be a pastor in Watertown, Wisconsin, we called it Sem Panic. Four years of college in Watertown, Wisconsin was where I, where I started my studies to be a pastor. And it was an awesome experience. Uh, it was all guys in school studying to be pastors. And there's nothing more amazing than living as an 18 to 22-year-old with no females around. You don't have to worry about your hygiene Monday through Friday. You don't have to worry about your laundry and, and deodorant is optional. When it runs out, you can wait till you go home and mom and dad buy you more. <laughs> but there was one problem with going to a school of, of all males in Watertown, Wisconsin. <laughs> Finding someone to date. <laughs> and no offense to anyone who's from Watertown, Wisconsin, but the pool of candidates in Watertown, Wisconsin and, and the citizens who lived in Watertown, Wisconsin, knew that these guys were going to be pastors. It, it was probably, uh, what are you going to do? Oh, yeah. Nice meeting you. Uh, so us pastors would make the journey to New Ulm, Minnesota. I know some of you have no idea where it is. Check it out sometime. It's in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota. Uh, that's where our worker uh, training school for our church body uh, is. And, and the guys would go and, and see if they could find a future teacher to, to be their wife or if you weren't interested in driving to New Ulm, WLC was in its infancy in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, and those are really the two pools that we got to swim in for, uh, for possible people really to consider as dating potential. Now, if you finished college and you had not yet found that someone, a sem panic hit. Because when you go to study at the seminary, you have two years of time before you get sent out to be a vicar where you're you're training for a year underneath another pastor, and, and I'm just telling you, you're not going out to a church somewhere you've never been before and meeting that perfect someone where, where you get introduced as the, the vicar, because they're probably not going to invest a whole lot of time because they know you're going back to school. And if you don't meet anyone there, if you're not lucky enough, then you get back to school for nine months and, and you're leaving. And let's just be honest, single ladies, if, if I was single and I was your pastor and I was even 28 years old, would you really think, I'm not so sure I want to date a pastor? <laughs> He's going to preach to me all the time. He's going to judge me for everything I've done. I, I, there's no way. And as a pastor, where am I going to go to find 
a future somebody. Let's just be honest. I can't go to the bar on Saturday night and, 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 and sing out and dance to the song, all the single ladies, and, and hope that someone isn't offended afterwards when they find out what I do on Sunday morning. When I examined this sermon and thought about that and my friends who, who dealt with some panic because I had several of them who were single at that time, I began to realize that, that what we experienced was just a microcosm of what happens in the world. 18 to 22-year-olds go off to school, you're young, and, and life is fun, you date, you break up, you date, you break up, you find someone new, you think, and, and, but eventually... You get to a point where you, you graduate, you get a degree, you get a real job, you get an apartment, you maybe buy a house, and, and if you're single, you still feel that pressure. You feel it because your parents start asking you, when are you going to settle down and grow up and meet someone as if there's something wrong with you? You have friends who see you date different people and try Match.com and Maybe even Christian Mingle, if you want to find that, that perfect someone who's got a spiritual element to their life. And, and after try after try, your, your single friends look you in the eye and say, I didn't think this before, but what's wrong with you? That you just can't figure it out. You see, we live in a world where single people bear a lot of pressure. Because we live in a world that elevates marriage to a, to a status, perhaps, that is more than what God says. While last week we looked at marriage and how God created as a part of his blueprint in his perfect creation, some people fall, fall prey to this idea that, that marriage is the ideal, that it's a better way, that being married makes you in a different class and a higher citizen, and, and single people, well, well, they get to have a little bit of fun, and maybe they have a pool of money, and you wish you had it. You don't want their life, because they're missing out. And so tonight, what we need to do is we need to stop and examine what God says about singleness and marriage. We really need to pump the brakes on this idea of happily ever after requiring finding that perfect someone. And we need to be able to answer the question, is, is being single your whole life make you lower or less than? Is, is not having another person in your life, that significant other, mean that you are not as good as, as someone who has that? that you're not complete. So we're going to dig into a section of God's word that's awesome and amazing because here's the disclaimer. I, I've been dating or married to my wife for 25 years. It's been that long since I've been single. So I'm probably not an expert on what it's like to be single in 2017. But God is. And as a part of my research, I talked to some of our single members and and ask them about, about being single and, and what comes along with it. So I pray if you are a married person here tonight, you're going to look around this room and see a single person. And, and this is going to change uh, perhaps how you feel and, and what you say. And if you're a single person, I pray that this helps you deal with uh, that pressure that you carry and, and the burden that, that we as a society have put on you. So if you're willing to join me for the next few minutes, uh, we're going to see what God has to say. And some awesome and amazing truths that apply to all of us, no matter what our status. Uh, to help us do this, uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tonight. We're going to pick some verses out of this section, 
And we're probably going to come back to him over the course of the rest of this series because in this section, the Apostle Paul, as God inspired him, uh, responds to a whole lot of things, a whole lot of matters. This verse first kind of sets the stage. Uh, now, for the marriage matters you wrote about. Now, marriage isn't in the, the, the Bible. That's me telling you what matters the Corinthians has asked him about. And if you look at all that takes place in 1 Corinthians 7, you, you find all sorts of answers and responses that Paul had to what I believe were questions that they posed about marriage and relationships. Uh, some of those questions were like this. Now that I've come to know Jesus, I, I didn't before and I've come to faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. My, my spouse hasn't, so because I'm a Christian and they're not, should I get divorced and start over and, and leave that relationship? That was an honest question they had. They didn't know. Some of the questions were about God's gift of sex and intimacy. And, and the Corinthians were confused because the world they lived in was, was all messed up when it, when it came to sexuality. People went to temples and prostitutes and, and God's gift of sex was being trampled under. And so they thought, Paul, should we abstain from this? Because the world makes it a, a dirty, ugly, messy thing. So Paul spoke to it. They had questions about being widowed and, and remarriage and, and divorce and, and, and everything under the sun. But what you find in this section where it talks about uh, those questions they had about marriage, the Apostle Paul gives awesome insight and wisdom about singleness. So here's the first verse that I, that I really want you to think about for a second before we get to our first truth. When Paul said, Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Now, some of you haven't uh, been, done this church thing your whole life, and, uh, but I did. I grew up in the church. And my parents are Christian grade school teachers. I went to Sunday school every week and uh, instruction class before I got confirmed. And I, I never once had a, a pastor or even a teacher at my high school or at college or even a seminary look us all in the eye and say, don't get married. It's good. You're okay. We talked about marriage and God's design and the pastor jumped into what godly dating looks like and, and made all these assumptions that this is the path you have to choose and, and need to choose, like it's the ideal. Now, if your experience is different, when you, when you hear this uh, verse, a part of you's got to say, say what? It's good to stay unmarried? Now, why would the apostle Paul say that it's good? If it's good, and then part of me should call up my future son-in-law and my daughter and have them come back in for a redo on the pre-marriage counseling they did from a couple weeks ago and, and say to them, maybe you want to rethink this marriage thing. God says it's good to stay unmarried. And, and I'm not telling you that because I'm worried about all the money I'm going to spend. God, God wants you to think about this. <laughs> that didn't go over big in the service she was in either. <laughs> Thankfully, Paul gives us an explanation as to why he said this. Uh, we look at some more verses later on in chapter 7. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. In other words, Paul wants to hold out and say that being married isn't wrong and, and sinful. Being single isn't wrong or sinful. Uh, but he tells us why he said what he did. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. This is not the place where if you're sitting next to your spouse, you elbow them and say, yeah, Pastor Tim's right on. You caused me trouble. That's, that's not what we're talking about. See, Paul wants you to understand, if you get married in this life, that you are connecting yourself to, to someone just like you, a sinful, broken, messed up human being who's got scars and brings baggage and 
when you come into a relationship like marriage where you are the closest that you'll ever be with anyone, that you sleep in the same bed with that person, you, you live under the same roof, you have everything in common, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble because there's times when, when you're going t- 100 miles an hour and, and you know where you and your family need to go, but your spouse isn't at the same speed and, and you try and be patient, but you finally lose it and you fly off the handle and say things you don't want to. It's trouble. It's trouble when two people get married and they have way different communication styles. Oh, husbands and wives, you know how this works, right? Uh, your husband doesn't communicate with you what he's doing. And, and when, you get, when he gets home and, and you find out, you're like, seriously, why didn't you tell me? Because you would have saved me 30 minutes if I knew you were running past the grocery store. And there's conflict. Add to that if you're married and things happen in this world, events we can't control that cause you anxiety, you now have on your, on your shoulders the weight of being concerned about multiple people and not just yourself. It, this world is full of trouble and we face it in marriage. But there's more, the Apostle Paul says. It's not just that you'll face troubles. He said, I'd like you to be free from concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his his interests are divided. That's a huge word. His interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. I'm not, not putting up uh, the, the, these rules and regulations that you must follow, but I'm, I'm telling you this for a godly reason. It gives you godly wisdom for this life to understand what you're entering into and what marriage brings, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. The word that's found in there is a very interesting one. If you've ever heard the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, look it up. Jesus went to visit these awesome and amazing friends, Mary and Martha. They had the gift of hospitality. I love people who have the gift of hospitality. Uh, Pastor Mike and I are willing to come over to your house anytime, ladies, you want to make an awesome and amazing meal. And we'll, we will just sit there and we will, we will eat. Um, that, that was Martha's gift. And she had Jesus over and she made this awesome and amazing meal. She's getting everything ready and she's, she's doing all the work. And, and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and, and Martha eventually comes in and you know what she says? She says, Jesus, do something about this. My sister's not pulling her weight. And Jesus' response was, Martha, you are concerned about many things. But Mary's chosen what is better. She was undivided in her focus on what mattered. God didn't chastise Martha and say what she was doing was wrong, just like he doesn't do that in this section when he's talking about singleness and married. But, but Martha, you're concerned about many things. Your mind is divided. It's focused on things of this world. And if you're married, that's the reality. God has called you to be concerned about the interests of another. My God has called me to be concerned about my wife's emotions, about her needs, uh, about her life, about her day at work. Uh, my, my God has called me to, to be supportive and, and be encouraging. And, and that gets my time. And it has to because God has blessed me with that relationship. But it affects me in this life. You see, it's the reason why we would say, as the Apostle Paul said in this last verse, and it's going to be our first truth, so note this verse, he who marries the virgin does right. It's not bad, it's not wrong, it's a godly thing, but he who does not marry does better. So fill in the blank with me. 
What's the Apostle Paul want us to understand about singleness in a world that tells you that single is inferior, not good, that you should long for something more and, and something that's higher in calling, that something's better? Uh, no, God wants you to understand being single is not only a good status. Paul says it's good, but at certain, in certain ways and in certain circumstances, it actually is better. It's actually better. See, a single person can wholly commit their life to God. They can use all their time and gifts to God. They can, they can invest and focus on how they want to be a blessing to others to the glory of God. Uh, this past week, I had an awesome opportunity to talk to uh, some of single members of our church, and, and, I, and I looked at them, and I thought about it, and I see some of the things that they're doing and able to do with their time and their talents that I can't do because I have kids to run to sporting events, and I have a wife that is expecting an awesome meal on Tuesday night, and, and all these things are real. I have chores around my house, but, but they don't have those concerns. It can be better because I can be wholeheartedly committed to God. And use everything that I am to his glory. Being single is not just a good status, but in some certain sense is better. We as a church and we as a culture and we as a people need to know that. So as you hear it, part of you should be saying and asking yourself this next question. If this is true, then why aren't more people single? Now understand the stats in our, our country today um, that people are waiting uh, longer and longer to get married. Uh, the average age has gone up by six or seven years over the past 50 years, about three or four within even the last 14 or 15 years. People are waiting to get married. They're, they're pushing it off further and longer for many reasons. And, and we can talk about that, but uh, that's not really the focus of tonight. Understand uh, that in that realm, there, there are actually, in our world today, our country today, a majority of singles compared to married. 52%, a survey just came out, of people in our country are single either unmarried, never been married before, uh, were married or divorced or are widowed. So you're the majority <laughs> and you feel like such a minority, right? So why aren't more people single or why don't more people understand this or why don't more people desire it? I would pose to you there are three reasons. Two of them are worldly. Uh, the first one is this. It, it's basically a worldly culture belief that has infiltrated society since the beginning of time. Every culture, every society, uh, no matter which one it is, has absolutes that they value above all else. But as a part of almost every society throughout history, at the top of the list of absolutes that are valued are marriage and having children. If you're married and have someone else in your life, you, you get elevated. And, and if you have children, uh, you, you get elevated even more. See, most cultures attach to those two things status and security and have throughout history. If you look at some of the biblical examples, there are, are many women who were barren, who couldn't have children, and, and society looked at, at them as outcasts, as something was wrong with them. Why is God cursing you? Do you start to understand the pressure that gets put on single people or, or barren people? Uh, people like Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were the parents of John the Baptist. Uh, people like Abraham and Sarah, who couldn't have children in, in the Old Testament. So that one affects our world and, and still does today. The second one is 20th and 21st century Western culture. How many of you are part of 20th and 21st century Western culture? If you don't know, raise your hand because you are. We live in the West, a Western culture. Western culture is driven by the idea of, of romance, true love, and finding that perfect someone, right? Happy, happy, happily ever after. 
It's what drives Disney movies. You, you understand this to be true. Uh, Cinderella, she loses the slipper, but Prince Charming comes and finds her and it fits, <laughs> right? And, and then you grow up and you think, well, that's, I, I don't buy into that lie. That's not true because it's the underlying message in almost every movie. Now I'm going to date myself, so please forgive me. I don't go to the movies very often with my wife. Sorry, honey. Um, but movies of my generation, Sleepless in Seattle, like seriously, we're going to fly across the country and we're going to do this through a talk show on the radio and, and magically we all show up at the Empire State Building and it's happily. Yeah, and you think of the movie Jerry Maguire and, and, and he's off and he leaves his wife and he's got his job and all of a sudden the light bulb goes on and he flies home and he walks into this meeting of crazy ladies who don't like men and he says hello, and he goes on with this big spiel, and he says, you complete me, like, ah, oh, yeah, you complete me. <laughs> or the greatest of movies of, uh, of my culture and time, and you think a pretty woman, like Richard Gere finally figures it out, and he's this rich man, and he, he climbs the ladder outside with flowers in his mouth. Come on, ladies. You do understand that those movies portray a message that, of happily, but they don't show you what? They don't show you the ever after. Because marriage is tough. It's not always the ideal status. And if those were the only two reasons, then, then we should leave here ashamed of ourselves as a culture and a church that we have left single people with the mission and idea that they have to be married, that to be complete and, and better, they need, they need to elevate themselves to this status. If that's the only reason why, why people believe this to be true and, and why they're not single, then we've done a horrible job, but but thankfully in this section, God gives some insight and wisdom that helps single people and then us as married people understand what the struggle is and why it's so real and, and why they desire something that many of us have. Uh, let's go on and see what Paul has to say. Now for the matters you wrote about, uh, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Paul was dealing with these, uh, cult, this culture that was uh, having sex outside of marriage and having sex with lots of people. And, and Paul says, you know, that's, that's absolutely not what you're supposed to do, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with their own husband. He goes on to explain it in verse 9, but if you can't control yourselves, you should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. One of the things the Bible tells us is God hardwired us with this uh, desire for relationship, this desire for connection, this uh, idea to, to be fruitful and multiply was hardwired into Adam and, and, and Eve's DNA. It's a, it's a part of who we are. <laughs> And so Paul says this is a godly gift that he gives to, to human beings. The gift of sex is a great blessing inside of marriage. And while it should never be the sole reason for getting married, you young men and you young women don't step up to the altar and, and say, well, Pastor Tim told, told us to get married because I have this desire and emotion. No, God also tells you to have self-control, but it, but it is a reason and a valid reason to long for marriage because it's who you are. If you can live without it, Paul says it's good. You have the gift. You can wholly devote yourself to the Lord. But I understand that, that it's hard. And then and we know what Genesis 2 says. When God created Adam and Eve, he looked around and he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And, and so God designed marriage. Uh, there was a man and, and so he made woman so that uh, they could fill the earth and there could be children. God designed us to long for companionship. The sad thing in that, as you hear that verse, is sometimes we give the message and tell people that the only way you can find that companionship is in a perfect someone that you need to be married to, and you can't find it anywhere else. 
Uh, we as a church, unfortunately, send a message to people who are single. Uh, they don't have a significant other that, that they're lesser. They, they walk into church and they see you in, in your couple groups and, and they see you with your uh, parental groups and, and, and they're back there waving and saying, don't, don't miss me, I, I need you. But we forget that we can fill that void and, and be what they, they long for and have earthly companionship even if they weren't married. Here's the truth that I want you to understand about being single. Being single for most is, is not the best status because of the way God hardwired us and, and how we're designed. And for certain reasons, it's definitely more difficult. We need to have a serious talk when we hear that truth. Uh, when I sat down with uh, the two single teachers who are new to our campus at, up in North Appleton, the, these male teachers who are 25 and, and 22, uh, I asked them, what's the most difficult thing about being single? I said, Pastor, the social stigmatism that comes along with it is, is strong. We've only been here for six months, but we have kids in our fifth and sixth grade classroom that come in and they've actually tried to set us up with people. <laughs> One of them told me, my, my grandma said, one of these days you'll get married and, you, and then you'll find your direction. And God bless her. She loves her grandson. But we do horribly at letting single people know who they are and where they're at and the status that they have. It's good. And it's godly. We, we need to understand the, the things that we do that, that, that cause this uh, to be perceived this way. And, and we as a church need to do something about it. And we need to own our sins. We need to own our failures. We need to recognize that at times the impression we give that church is a place for married people and, and parental people and not single people. You do know why single people are leaving the church in droves. Maybe part of it is because we've given them the impression it's not a safe place for them. Uh, they're not going to find the relationships that they need for them. We need to know these things so that we can be the church God wants us to be. And each and every one of us, no matter what our status, can celebrate who we are. That's really the last truth I want to just spend a few moments with you before I finish. And no matter if you're married or single, this, this last point is a, an eye-opener and a game-changer for us individually in our relationships, but as a church. And here's the truth. Our identity, who we are is not based on our marital status. It's not based on whether Facebook says we're single or dating, engaged or married, widowed or divorced, but it's based on our redemption status. We need to stop thinking that, that, that in this life, happily ever after can only be found in the relationship of marriage because the truth is that no relationship this side of heaven is ever going to give us completeness and ultimate happiness and lead to the happily ever after that you want and that I want and that God offers. Our identity is not about whether I'm married. My identity is determined by my God. Look at this awesome verse from the book of Galatians. It's the Apostle Paul writing to a different Christian group. He said this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. You're all children of God. Your faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves 
with Christ. And he goes on to this list to make sure you understand that, uh, that it's not determined by an external thing. It's not determined by a place of birth thing. It's not determined by what sex is on your driver's license. It's not determined, uh, and if Paul could tell you today, uh, whether you're married or, or you're single. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. Pastor Tim says, neither married or single, widowed or divorced, for, for you are all one saved. You are all one in Christ Jesus. I've been married for 21 years. My wife is one of the most awesome and amazing ladies. If you know me, uh, you'll understand why she is an amazing lady. She's put up with me that long. She overcome her fear of marrying either a farmer or a pastor. She actually told me that once. When I retire, I want to be a farmer. <laughs> I want to push. <laughs> I'm not going to push. But you know what? As great as my wife is and as big as her love is for me, it will never complete me or bring me fulfillment. And you know what? As great as my family is and the children I have and the extended family I have, they'll, they'll never truly satisfy me because they can't embrace me relationally in a perfect way. But, but because our identity is not determined by our marital status, whether married or single, but by our redemption status, you know what God has dropped into our lives? He's dropped into our lives the perfect spouse. His name is Jesus. He, he came to earth and he went to the cross to undo all your sin and, and deal with all the wreckage and, and, and take away all the baggage and, and give you happily ever after with him. And he connected you to fellow Christians, fellow believers, who, who bring you the relational things that while they're not as intimate and close as this side of heaven as, as marriage can be, that, com, that fill you with, with so many awesome and amazing blessings. So whether you're married or, or you're single, understand this is who you are and this is your identity. And when we begin to understand this as a church, then we can begin to celebrate that God is good no matter what my status. If I'm single, God is good. And, and while I might long for something uh, that, that, that brings companionship into my life, which would be a great thing, God, I trust that you got me in the place you want me right now because you're good and I'm a part of your family. And if I'm married, God's got me in the relationship right now where he wants me to to use my time and use my energy to give my all to my spouse. <laughs> because in that, then together, we can collectively celebrate that, that we're neither any of those things, but we're all one. And we know that we're all one. Then, then what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, it's our last section from there tonight. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. I can be content if I'm single. Because God's got a plan for me and God is good. <laughs> I can be content in being married, and, and while it might not be perfect and I might have troubles, God has blessed me with an awesome and amazing person who, who, who I can show love to unconditionally. And we're going to talk more about that in week number four. Brothers and sisters, each person is responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Our first and foremost commitment, no matter what our status, is to God Almighty, to live for Him and to honor Him and to use our time and our gifts and, and all of our energy to, to love God. And to love each other. See, when you start to begin to understand that, that our identity is not about our status and we start to see each other, whether single or married, through a different lens, and we can find in our church awesome, amazing opportunities to honor God and love each other, to celebrate my single friends who are willing to get up on a Saturday morning when that's probably the hardest thing in the world because they don't have kids and never get up and play basketball with me and beat me up. To thank God for my single friend who has time and energy and is willing to, to help me do things that, that I can't do and, 
and he loves to do it because he loves Jesus. And, and then as a married person, I need to understand and see how can I honor God and show love and, and pray for my Christian friends. I ask some of the single uh, people that I talk to, what can we do for you? Pray for us. It's hard. Encourage us. Give us time and be patient with us. We, we, many of us want the same thing that you have, but we want it to be done God's way and we want it to be on God's time. Don't look at us like we're different. Don't, don't think that there's something wrong. Just, just love us. And if we can show them that, then we can, we can celebrate the, the great connection and bond God has brought to us in this life. It's the last verse, and I'm going to wrap up with the, just the last part. From him, from Christ, the whole body, that's the picture of the church, and we're all part of it, whether single or married, widowed, divorced, we're joined and held together by every supporting ligament. I need you and you need me. We need each other. It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's what I want for my church. A church that reflects that the great love of God has changed my eternal status and, and I know happily ever after. And, and I want a church where, where single and married can both look at each other and say, as great as relationships are this side of heaven, the greatest of all relationships is mine with Jesus and, and we get to celebrate happily ever after together. How can we together work towards that and celebrate that and be the church that God loves. So I don't know what your status is tonight. I know on Tuesday, some of you who are single are going to feel like you should cower in a corner and hide. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Celebrate God's love. Know who you are in him. Married people, reach out to a single friend this week and and let them know they're loved and, and speak a word of encouragement to them so that we can celebrate that whatever the status, saved or married, single or married, we're all saved. We're all part of the family of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for our church. I pray for the single people who are here who are longing for relationships. Lord, remind them and assure them that you got this, that you are good, and that you love them and you have them right where you want them to be. Give them the, the drive and ability to long for, for the blessings that you might offer to them in relationships in the future, but to be content in their status. Lord, I pray for the married people in our church, some of whom are struggling and, and are thinking there's a better status. So, oh Lord, give us a church that's overwhelmed with this great truth that, that you love us and, and you long for us to be content in that situation. And Lord, as a church, let us be the people of God who, who love you and honor you and, and don't celebrate uh, the status that we have and allow it to become something that gravitates to, to a certain group and leaves others out. But let us be a church that celebrates the unity that we have, that the family of God is the one that truly embraces us and truly satisfies. Uh, Lord, may this side of heaven, we find all the joy in that that we can as we look forward to what really happily ever after is, being children of God forever with you, the ultimate, the ultimate gift that we can look forward to. Lord, for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.